we have been here for about two years now. Um, several years ago, the Lord put it on my heart to um, expand his family, if you will, be a part of expanding his family, spreading out, being a part of church planning. It's been said that church planning is one of the most effective forms of evangelism. And, and so C- City Church International sent us out. We had a group of about 30 of us uh, who've been here for, for uh, two years, uh, who've stuck around and been a part of the delightful moments and the difficult moments in church planning. And I just want to honor each one of you who, if you've been here from the beginning, from the beginning of the church plant, I just want to say thank you. You guys have been an amazing core team of people who love the Lord, who represent Jesus well. And just as we get started this morning, I, I just want to remind us why we're here. Uh, me and Andrew went out this week on evangelism in the neighborhood, and we were down here at the Texaco. And those of you who've driven by the Texaco, maybe you saw the police cars there this morning, um, know that there's a lot of shady activity going on, uh, drug dealing going on in broad daylight uh, consistently. And that was one of the things that drew me and us to this neighborhood is we saw a, an area that had spiritual darkness. And Jesus said, we're the light of the world. And we want to go as the light of the world. We want to go to dark places and we just want to let our light shine and let people see the truth of Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ and the love of Jesus Christ. And so we, we came here and it's been sweet. It's been difficult. It's been challenging. You know, just like any missionary who leaves and goes to another country, we had the Bradleys here last week who've been serving in Ethiopia. It's not easy. They have intentionally gone to a dark place, a difficult place to shine the light of the gospel, to spread the gospel message. But I just want to remind us here why, why we're here this morning as, as a church plant, why we're in this community, why, why we're not just kind of, just kind of huddling up and staying together with a more established uh, church uh, and, but we're spreading out because the Lord has called us to be a people who know Him, who love others, and impact our world. Uh, there's three G's that I think about. When I think about our vision and why we're here and what we're doing here at City Church Garland, I think about the gospel being the first thing, for the gospel's sake. We aim to be a gospel-centered people, a gospel-saturated people, a people who love and embrace and apply the gospel to our lives, and we joyfully bring it out to every person that we can talk to about the good news of Jesus Christ. And we're about the great commandment here. Love, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. We want to do that here as, as much as we can. We want to align what we're doing here and who we are here at City Church Garland with those these three G's. The gospel, the great commandment, and the great commission. Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so when I think about why we're here, while Andrew and I were there this week at Texaco and we saw lots of stuff going on and we were talking to people who are addicted to drugs, I was reminded why we're here. We're here to love on these people who are hurting. We're here to make disciples. We're here to spread the fame of Jesus Christ because we know and we love Him and we want others to know and love Him as well. And so just want to remind us why we're here and what we're doing here and what we're about here at City Church. And I just also want to communicate gratitude for each of you who've been faithfully involved in uh, serving here at City Church Garland. Um, we are going to continue our sermon series on 
the book of Galatians. The book of Galatians has been a rich book that has deeply impacted my life. Uh, as we've said already in these messages, is that it addresses the problem of legalism. It addresses uh, the problem of legalism, and legalism is, is simply trying to earn favor and status with God by our performance. It's trying to earn, it's trying to keep and maintain favor with God by our performance, and it's trying to, to serve and please God in your own strength. It's trying to live by your own rules rather than God's rules. You add to God's rules. Try to do things that he actually didn't say you need to do, right? And trying to do it in your own strength. And so so Paul's addressing a people who had come to Christ and they had been listening to and been influenced by these Judaizers, these these folks who were saying it's it's not just Jesus that you need. It's not just the gospel that you need. You need the Mosaic law. You need to obey the law. You need to get circumcised if you're not circumcised. And all the guys say, ouch, no way. We're under the new covenant. Baptism is enough for me, right? And, and so, so Paul's addressing this issue of legalism and he's applying the gospel of Jesus Christ, uh, to, uh, to the, the Galatians. One of the, the issues we're going to look at is this, this idea of, um, sonship and, and the fatherhood of God. Uh, we live in a day where, uh, there is, there is a, a high percentage of fatherlessness. Um, I, I, before I became a pastor, full-time pastor, I was a juvenile correctional officer. And I worked with young, young men who were in the system of Texas Youth Commission. And, and one of the common themes or threads that I saw in the lives of these young men was they had broken relationships with their fathers or they didn't have a father. They had an abusive father. And, and so there was, they not only had legal problems, but they had relational problems with their earthly father. And in the book of Galatians, we see Paul addressing legal problems that we have. Okay. He emphasized justification by faith. That is, you are declared righteous by faith in Jesus Christ and what He's done. But He doesn't just stop there with addressing legal problems. Any of you who've had some legal problems, like like Joshua was testifying this morning, know that that can be a huge burden and that can just consume your time and your focus and your energy. And if you got legal problems, you need to get them dealt with, right? If you got in trouble with the law, you need to you need to like not have to run from the police all the time and not have to look over your shoulder all the time. There's some peace and freedom in that. But God doesn't just want us to have our legal problems dealt with. He wants us to have our relation, relational issues dealt with. Namely, our relationship with Him. Knowing Him as a loving Father. So that's what we're going to look at here this morning. If you guys would pray with me. Father, I thank You for Your Word. I thank You for the opportunity to proclaim the truth of Your Word here today. And as I do so, I pray that joy would abound amongst us, that peace would abound amongst us, that freedom would increase amongst us, that we would live in the freedom of the children of God, and that we would be more like Jesus in our, in our character, in our conduct, that we would reflect Jesus more. I pray that you would give us insight and revelation of our status as sons and daughters as we open up the Scripture. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, brother. Okay, so here's here's where we're going this morning. 
Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. If you have a Bible, turn there with me. If you don't, we got it on the screen. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many, uh, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. I mean that an heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then you are an heir through God. And all God's people said, Amen to that. So here's where we're going with, with that text, from that text, is that God the Father has richly blessed us by sending His Son to redeem us, His Spirit to reside in us, affirming us of our new status as His children and heirs. So let that sink in for a moment. Let that sink in. Um, what do you consider a Christian to be? What do you consider a Christian to be? J.I. Packer, in his book, Knowing God, says this. If you want to know how to judge how, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. So J.I. Packer says that if, if, if somebody really understands Christianity, then they understand that they are a son in the family or a daughter in the family of God, that they belong to God the Father and He takes care of their needs. And He is for them. He doesn't just provide for them. He is for them and He delights and doing them good. And so we want to go there today because through, uh, since I've been a Christian, this has been an area that I've struggled with and I've had to receive healing around. And this is an issue that I've had to help other brothers and sisters receive healing concerning. Just recently, I, I held a full grown man as he's weeping and crying about over father wounds that he had. He was the new father himself and, and he was reflecting on godly examples and godly fathers that he saw around him. And, and he just began to weep as he thought about his own father and some of the, the, the things that he lacked, his own father lacked in showing God to him. Some of us come from families where our fathers have done a really good job in reflecting God, his graciousness, his kindness, his love, his faithfulness. 
his consistency, his sense of justice and righteousness. Others have come from families where we have a father that's been distant, cold, disconnected, maybe abusive, or maybe a father who's not there at all. When I was seven years old, I remember coming home with my mother and my father had, uh, he had been gone working and he'd come home and he didn't have a key to the door and so he kicked in the door. Uh, he, he was drunk, he'd kicked in the door. This was the very last argument and fight that, that, that my mother and father had before they split up and separated. And I, I remember my brother and I, I was seven, my brother was four. We just saw my mom walk out the door with my baby brother. My dad's drunk, he slams the door, what was left of it, and we're just like standing there, little little kids. And we took off running out the back door, jumped over the fence to go with mom and get out of there. We wanted to be somewhere that was safe. So that was my experience as having a father growing up who actually passed away in a house fire when I was 15 years old. And so coming to know God as my Father has been healing to me. It has been freeing to me knowing that my Father in heaven is not like my earthly father was. And maybe that's helpful for you to know that too. So the first point here is is that I want to highlight from verse 26 is that we have new identity as God's children Verse 26 and 27, for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many as you as who were baptized in Christ have put on Christ. You are all sons of God through faith. Again, Paul is addressing this issue of legalism with the church and this idea that that one had to perform and do well to be accepted and loved and embraced by God to have God smile towards them. But the scripture teaches that you and I have that by faith. We've come to Jesus by faith and we put our faith in Jesus and his righteousness is accounted to us. And we've been clothed with Jesus. We've been baptized in Jesus. And so when the father sees us, he sees the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. If you're a saint, if you're a child of God, that's how God views you. He delights in you. He doesn't just tolerate you. He's, he doesn't love a future version of you. When you get your act together, then He'll love you. He loves you as you are in your brokenness, in your, your sinfulness. He sent His Son, Jesus, to rescue you and I and make us His very own. And that all happens through faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. But with faith, we can bring pleasure to God. We can delight the heart of the Father, just like any of our children. Those of us, we love families here and we love children here. Uh, it's a God thing. Marriage, and family, parenting is just a God thing. It's, it's, it's the beauty of God and His design. And it's one of the ways from the very beginning, God said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, right? It's, it's, it's a part of God's design. And those of us who have little little babies, little infants right now, I know we have three of them, at least three, four of them here. Those little babies are just dependent on mom and dad right now. They don't have to do anything to get uh, to get what they need. They're going to get their diaper changed. They're going to get their clothes changed. They're going to get fed. They're going to get their sleep. They're going to get kisses from brothers and sisters. They're going to get songs sung over them. They're, they're just going to get smothered with love and kisses right now. And they didn't earn any of it. 
They're just receiving. It's just grace being showered down on them. And you see, that's the picture that God wants us to have when it comes to our relationship with Him. We are sons and daughters in His family. We're not, we're not merely servants and we're not slaves. We're His very own children. His very own children. And He delights over us. Just the other night, I, I was singing over my, my son Justice there, just kind of making up a song. And as I was singing over him, he was, he was smiling. He, he had this like, this un, this fixed gaze on dad as I'm singing over him. And he was smiling and he was making these noises. And I was just delighting in him as I was singing over him. And you know, God has that towards you and I times a million. Zephaniah uh, 3.17 says, God rejoices over us. He sings over us. He quiets us with his love. That's the heart of the Father. And if you're going to grow in your relationship with God, if you're going to move forward in maturity and, and become all that, that God's called you to be in maturity and growing as a Christian, you got to start there with that basic truth that you are known and loved by God before you do anything at all. You're a son or daughter. Before you're a dentist or a teacher or mother or a husband, before you're a pastor, an engineer, you're a son. Your daughter, you're loved by God. So whether that title and that position is stripped from you, you have a secure place with the Father. Amen? He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. So we have this new identity as sons and daughters of God. I'm going to come back to this. The, the second thing in verse 28 is that we are not, we, don't, we not only have God as our Father, but we have been united with other Christians in God's family. I think this is really cool. I mean, just look across the room this, this morning and we, we have some diversity here. And we love that, by the way, here. We embrace that. We, one of our values here is unified diversity. We're united in Christ and we celebrate and enjoy the differences that we have amongst one another. You know, heaven's not just going to be one color of people, Right? It's going to be every tribe, every tongue worshiping around the throne. And so what the gospel does is it destroys these barriers and these distinctions that divide the people of God in classes, lower class, upper class, black, white, Hispanic, Asian, male or female, uh, Jew or Greek. The gospel, it destroys the barriers. It doesn't, it doesn't erase the fact that we have differences. It doesn't. I mean, when you became a Christian, it didn't, it didn't change the, the, the fact of, of whatever race you are. Alright? Or whatever gender you are. You remain to be a male or a female when you came to Jesus, right? Uh, it didn't, it didn't change that. And you don't have to deny that. We as Christians, we're not colorblind. You know, we don't just like act like we don't see color at all. But we don't let those differences separate us. We're united as the family of God in those differences. And you can go, like I've gone over to India a couple of times. I've gone to Colombia and Honduras and Dominican Republic and different parts of the world. And I've been there together eating with other Christians, doing work, mission work together with other Christians there. And you know what? I don't even know these guys, these ladies or these guys, but yet I feel like 
like I do know them and I feel connected to them and I feel like I'm a part of their family. We're, we're, we have this, we have this uh, unity that's not based on where we live. It's not based on what we look like. It's not based on our bank accounts. It's based on the gospel of Jesus Christ. We've been united together with the people of God. And so there's equality in, in this. Okay, this, this doesn't mean Paul's not erasing all those distinctions, uh, but he, but he is, he is communicating here. I'm gonna read a couple of guys that are smarter than I am who comment on this. John Stott, who said, when we say that Christ has abolished these distinctions, we mean not that they do not exist, but they do not matter. They are still there, but they are, they no longer create barriers to fellowship. Warren Wearsby said this, This does not mean that our race or political status or sex is, it changes at conversion, but it does mean that they're, that they, these things are no value or a handicap when it comes to our spiritual relationship with God through Jesus Christ. So we're connected. We're connected. We have a family, Christians, we have a family that is global. Now some use this as an excuse not to get plugged in and committed to a local church. I recently read an article. I'm going to read it to you. This is satire, Christian satire, and it's hilarious. If you've read anything from the Babylon Bee, I'm just going to read this real quick. Um, uh, Toronto, local man, Tin Rubio, refused to join local gym, claiming instead that his membership in the invisible universal gym should be enough to get him in shape. Yeah. I'm not really into the whole organized fitness thing, he told reporters, stating that he's been burned a few times by gyms that didn't cater to his every whim. I'm in the fitness, but I'm not religious about it. He, he also launched into a diatribe about the hypocrisy of other people he sees at the gym who are working out but aren't perfectly fit yet. They really turned me off with the whole institutional exercise thing. It's just not for me. Rubio states that, he simply exercises on his own time whenever he feels like it with no disciplined routine or partners to keep him accountable. Nature is my gym. At publishing time, sources have been able to confirm that Rubio hasn't exercised in 14 years. <laughs> that's hilarious. I love that. There's, that's, that's one of the best, best articles I've read on there. And so we're, we're connected universally as with the church of God, with the people of God. We are part of the family of God. You belong. God is your father. You're a son and a daughter. And you have brothers and sisters all over the world. Okay? So you belong. That's one of our deepest needs is to feel loved and to feel like we belong, Right? And Christianity offers a solution to that deepest issue that we all have. You belong in the family of God. You were formed for family. You were formed for family. You're designed for it. It's good. It's God's good design. So we're united with other Christians in the God's family. Amen. And then check this out. It just gets better. These are gospel blessings. I've titled this message Gospel Blessings. Gospel Blessings. Count your blessings, church. When, when you start focusing on everything that you don't have and you still desire and it hadn't come to pass yet, spend some time counting your blessings because you're not lacking in Christ Jesus. Your dad owns everything. 
You have an inheritance. You have an identity. You have this access to the Father. Look at this. Here's, here's a couple of those uh, gospel blessings here. Uh, we have been redeemed and adopted through Christ. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoptions as sons. We've been redeemed, church. We've been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ and we belong to Him. We're no longer slaves to sin. We're no longer under the domain of darkness, the kingdom, the, the Satan, the prince of the power of the air. We are under King Jesus. We are in Christ Jesus. We are new creations. The law, the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set us free from the law of sin and death. We've been redeemed. And we've been adopted. See, not just our legal issues have been taken care of. We've been justified by faith. But our relational issues with God have been taken care of. Uh, one, one person puts it like this here. Um, the doctrine of justification makes us right before God. This is um, David Platt. The doctrine of justification makes us right before God the judge. But in the doctrine of adoption, we are loved by God the Father. In justification, the picture is legal. We stand before a judge who makes a pronouncement. But in adoption, the judge not only declares us not guilty, but he also gets up off the bench, comes down to where you are, and he takes your chains off of you, and he says, come with me, my son. J.I. Packer says, To be right with God the judge is a great thing, but to be loved and cared by God is the Father is a greater thing. God loves you. He's adopted you into His family. Adoption is a gospel thing. It's a beautiful thing. And there are many Christians and churches that have embraced that and do that. Uh, and as I've been preaching through the, or studying this passage and thinking about this, my wife and I, again, had that conversation this week. It's a little overwhelming when you just, when you got a two month old, you just got number four, right? To have that conversation. Uh, we have others here at this church who have that heart, have that desire to, to rescue a child that has otherwise a, a terrible fate if, if nobody intervenes. And uh, I commend you for that. And, and may we move in that direction, church. It's costly. It's inconvenient. Takes a lot of time. It's not easy. It's like doing what we're doing here. Just like anything else you do when you're following Jesus. The, the path is narrow. It's difficult. But it's a gospel thing. It's a God thing. God is honored in it. People are helped in it when we, when we embrace, when we walk in adoption. God adopted you and I into His family. Russell Moore gives a story about um, uh, just imagining yourself ad ad adopting a 12-year-old who um, is, is just has all kinds of issues acting out sexually, um, has all kinds of uh, re uh, just physical things, and 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 he and he says, picture them. Would you would you leave your little your other little kids alone with that that 12-year-old? Would you would you trust them? And, and so and, and and then he says this he, at the end of that he says. You and I are that 12-year-old. 
That, that adopted child that brings all the struggles and all the brokenness of, of life with them, God brings us in with all our brokenness and all our junk, and He adopts us into His family. And He loves us through it. Also, adoption, there's a timing issue that, that comes along with adoption. In this passage, Paul says, when the fullness of time had come... God sent forth His Son. That's a loaded, it's a loaded phrase there. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son. I'm going to read John Stott, who mentions a couple things of, of what that could be, what he could be referring to. Why is the period of Christ's coming termed the fullness of time? Various factors are combined to make it such. For instance, it was a time when Rome had conquered and subdued the known inhabited earth, when Roman roads had been built to facilitate travel and Romans, Roman legions had been stationed to guard them. It was a time when the Greek language and culture had, had given a certain cohesion to society. At the same time, the old mythological gods of Greece and Rome were losing their, their hold on common people so that the hearts and the minds of men everywhere were hungry for a religion that was real and satisfying. Further, it was a time when the law of Moses had done its work of preparing men for Christ, holding them under its tutelage and its prison so that they longed ardently for the freedom with which Christ could make them free. So Jesus came at the right time. He was sent by the Father. Here here are two gospel blessings for you and I. God sends His Son at the right time to rescue you and I. Okay? And, and, the, and it doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop there that just we've been redeemed and we've been adopted through Jesus. But we have the Spirit of the living God living within us. It just seems to get better and better and better. We get God. I mean, what greater blessing can there be that you and I get God, the Holy Spirit, living inside of us? Notice the Trinitarian language within here. We believe in the Trinity, that God is God is three persons in one, right? right? How many persons? Children, New City Catechism question. How many persons are there in God? The Father? Thank you, children. Thank you. Very good. All right. There are three persons in one God, the, the, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we see them each active and involved in bringing our salvation. The Father purposes it and plans it. The Son comes and He purchases it, purchases it for us. He redeems us. The Holy Spirit, He applies it and He makes it real to us and He reveals to us who we are. Look at this verse here. It says, the Spirit, because you are sons. And let me just say this, the sons language, ladies, don't let that turn you off. Don't let that, you know, you're like, what about daughters, right? Don't let that turn you off. Paul was doing something intentional here. First of all, it was the sons who had the right to receive an inheritance in the family in the first century. Okay, not the daughters, right? But but Paul is including women in that. Male or female in Christ Jesus, that's that's you. You're in Christ Jesus. And if guys have to 
have to bear with being called the bride of Christ, then, then ladies, surely you can, you can bear with being, uh, categorized as sons of God, the sons of God, right? And so because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Why does he say it twice? The word Abba means Father. An equivalent for us would be like Daddy or Papa. It's an Aramaic term. Abba, this is what Jesus called God. And it was revolutionary. It was a, it was a paradigm shift for the Jews. He's calling God Father. And he's, in the Sermon on the Mount, he's teaching his disciples to relate to God as Father. When you pray, pray our Father in heaven. He says, be kind that you may be like your Father. Uh, let your light shine that, 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 that people would see your good works and glorify the Father. In the Gospel of John, we see Jesus explaining this more and more to the fatherhood of God, even from chapter 1. That you and I who believe and receive Jesus in, in John 1.12, we've been given the right to become sons and daughters of God. This is, this is amazing. You see, in the Old Testament, when you approach God, you had to be very careful. Some people were killed by approaching God the wrong way under the Old Covenant. There was a healthy fear that, that, that the people of God had and had to have. And, 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 and the Bible, the New Testament, what the New Testament stresses for, for us who are in Christ Jesus is we have a confidence to approaching not only a holy God, but our holy Father. That's why we have confidence. I mean, I, I think about this often when my kids just come running up to me and jump in my lap and whatever I'm doing, no matter how important it is or how private it is, they will just rush on in because they know they have access to dad. They're loved. They, they know they're loved. They know they have access to dad whenever they need mom or dad. They can come to them. And so we have the Spirit of God who lives inside of us and he, and he causes us, He prompts us to pray to God as Father, like Jesus taught us to pray to God as Father, our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name, right? And so many times as, as a Christian, there's been many times where I have been brought to tears by the, the assurance that the Spirit of God gives that I'm a child of God. Uh, I've shared before, there was one time I was at church and there was a sermon being preached about salvation and I just began weeping and I couldn't help but weep because I knew that I knew that I knew that I was a child of God and God was affirming that inside of me. Uh, there was other times where I, I've just felt like a failure and I would show up to church and I'd feel like, man, I'm a lousy Christian. And I'd be in worship just focusing on who God is, my loving Father. And I would just weep because I'd be reminded that no matter how terrible I did that week, I was still loved just as much by the Father. I was just as righteous before the Father because of Jesus. And I have just as much access and privilege to come into His presence even when I was had a great week. You don't, don't ever think that you have more right to come into God's presence as a child of God because you had a good week. Because you're not coming in on your righteousness. You're not, you're not approaching a holy God on the basis of your righteousness, but on the basis of the blood of Jesus Christ and His righteousness. So you don't have to wallow in condemnation and hypocrisy and think, oh, I'm terrible. 
right? Now, God wants us to grow up and he, and he wants us to shake that stuff off. But if, if we're going to progress in being more like Jesus in our sanctification, then we need this foundational truth solid in our hearts that we are sons and daughters first before we're anything else. Worship leader, mother, father, whatever your vocation is, you're a son or a daughter first. John Wesley was somebody who was brought up in a, in a very religious family, godly Christian family. And John Wesley got involved in all kinds of great things like helping the poor, visiting inmates, missions, doing missions. He was doing missions. This guy was stellar. He was sharp. He was disciplined. He fasted. He prayed. He, he practiced spiritual disciplines. And you know what? He wasn't a Christian according to his own testimony. He wasn't a Christian when he was doing all these really good things. He had been brought up in a godly family. I'm sure he was baptized and sprinkled uh, in the Anglican Church, the Church of England growing up. But but it was it was after he had gone on a mission trip, an unsuccessful mission trip, he, he wrote this. He said, I went to convert the um the Indians, I, I think it was the Indians, but who will convert me? So he's on this boat ride back and he's with these other missionaries who really have a genuine connection with God. And there's like this turmoil on the boat and, and they're like at peace and he's freaking out inside, right? All right. So he gets back. He goes to this, this, um, this Bible study led by this Moravian, uh, missionary, I think Bowler, I believe, uh, and he was teaching on the book of Romans and the, the truth that we're justified by faith. And as Wesley heard this gospel truth that he's justified by faith, not by how awesome of a Christian he is and practicing all the spiritual disciplines, he writes, my heart was strangely warmed. My heart was strangely warmed. All of a sudden, he exercised faith in Jesus for righteousness and he really became a Christian indeed, a true Christian. And then he had the witness of the Holy Spirit living inside of him, affirming his identity as a son, not on the basis of what he did or what he didn't do. Romans 8, 14 through 17 is a parallel passage here. Paul says this, he says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs of God, then heirs and heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Wow. That's powerful. Do you have a witness in your heart that you belong? It is the Holy Spirit affirming in your heart, in the core of your being, that you belong to God? Or are you afraid and concerned and anxious that you might not be? Has the Holy Spirit applied the truth of the gospel message to you and assured you that you belong to God. I can't give that to you. And I'm not going to try. But the Holy Spirit can. And He can change you. And you know what? He can bring forth fruit in your life that affirms that as well. That's next week, or two weeks from now. Galatians 5. The fruit of the Spirit. It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those who are led by the Spirit of God truly are sons of God. And there's fruit 
that marks their lives when they're truly following Jesus and truly following the Spirit of God. Lastly, is that we have an inheritance. Verse 7 says, So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. This, this is not something that we just need to get theologically and intellectually, but we need to get this at a heart level. We, we need to feel this. We need to experience this. I'm a son, not a slave. You need to know who you are and whose you are, and you need to know what you have because of Jesus. You have a great inheritance, an inheritance that's incorruptible and undefiled. And when you get a hold of that, that will help you release grip on the things of this world that you're holding so tightly to, thinking like an orphan, thinking like a slave. Because you know you have God and He owns everything. Amen? That changes everything for us. When we when this sinks in, now some of us come from godly, healthy families, stable families. Some of us have had college paid for by our parents. We've had vehicles paid for. We've, we've been helped out with our first home or whatever. Just in many ways, financially, we've had support of, of family members. Others of, of us haven't had, maybe not, don't come from families that have those resources and have very little to pass on as an inheritance. But regardless, whether you come from a rich family or a poor family, you in Christ Jesus, you who are a Christian, you have a great inheritance. So you don't have to feel insecure. You don't have to feel like you're lacking. You have a Father who loves you, who provides for you, and He's going to do so for all eternity. You get to start enjoying that inheritance now. You don't have to wait. You get to relate to God as Father now. All your needs are taken care of now. You have the Holy Spirit now. You have adoption now. You have redemption now. You have forgiveness of sins now. You can enjoy all that. You can pray and He will answer now. Because you belong in His family. Amen? So lastly, an application is reflect on your status, your high status as children of God. And reflect on the privilege uh, that you have to relate to God as your Father. Just think about that. Let that sink in. As as I read earlier, J.I. Packer's quote, that, that somebody who understands that they're a child of God and that God is their Father, and that permeates their whole outlook on life. Reflect on that. Let that sink in. And then live like a child of God, not like an orphan or a slave. Live like it. Reflect on it, know it. One of Paul's prayers in Ephesians 3, because he knows, he knew that this is a work of the Spirit of God. That this takes the Spirit of God working, massaging deep the gospel into our hearts and our lives. Paul prayed, he said, I pray that, that, that you would get understanding, that you're, you would comprehend, that you would know the depth and the width and the height of God's love. That's unsearchable. That's so deep, so profound. It's beyond human comprehension. We can't fully grasp it. Beyond knowledge, right? We need the Spirit of God to communicate that to our spirits and know that we know that we know we are loved by God. The Holy Spirit pours out His love into our hearts by um, in, in Romans 5.5. 5. When we become Christians, He does that. 
And you know what? He doesn't stop revealing the love of the Father to us throughout our Christian life. It's an ongoing thing. He reminds us that we belong to Jesus. He reminds us that we're loved. I remember when I became a Christian, I wept like a baby because I had so much hurt, so much pain. I felt rejected. I felt I felt like I had to fend for myself. I was a fighter. I had to fight and I had to provide for myself and I had to if I wanted something, I had to take it. That was my mindset. I was, it was an orphan mentality. And when I became a Christian, that just broke off. I just wept. It was like this backpack of weight was just lifted off of me. And I became free in the reality that I'm a child of God. And so let's live like it by having confidence to approach God and ask for anything that you need. Pray. Pray like God is a loving Father who gives good gifts to His children who ask Him. Jesus said this. He said, if you, dads being evil, as, as broken as you are, you like to give good gifts to your kids, bless them, how much more will your Heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask? We, Ephesians, or Hebrews 4.16, we can come boldly before His throne of grace to obtain grace and mercy to help us in our time of need. We can, we can come with confidence. We don't have to be like the Israelites who shrunk back in fear and they were like, Moses, you go talk to them. All that lightning and that thunder and those dark clouds, that's scary. We don't want to talk to them. We don't want to die. You go talk to them, Moses. We don't have to relate to God like that. We can go directly to God as our Father with confidence. Because we're His children. And then share freely the love and the truth of Christ everywhere you go. If you're a child of God, live like it by, by sharing with others the love and the, the, the truth of Jesus Christ that you've experienced. You want, you've tasted and you've seen that God is good. Just like a restaurant that you've gone to and you told somebody else about it. Tell somebody else about Jesus if you've experienced His goodness. If you know God is a good, good Father, tell somebody else. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I thank You that these words are true. That these words are reliable. And that You have given us Your Spirit to lead us into and confirm that these words are true. These words were inspired by Your Spirit through the hand of the Apostle Paul. And they come from You and Your heart. And I pray that, God, we would receive that, that we would count our blessings in Christ Jesus. That we would explore the benefits of being Your very own children. And quit being discontent looking at and thinking about what we think we need. So take us deeper into this truth. Into relationship with you. I pray that fear would break in the lives of everyone here. That spirit of fear. That orphan spirit. That you would break the bondage of that. That you would bring freedom. Even this morning. If you're here this morning. And you are struggling with this truth. You're hurting. 
and you have tears to cry about this and you need God to work this in you because you're not living like a child of God who's free and loved we want to pray for you if you would raise your hand we'll come to you you can come forward if you want to know God as your father quit living like an orphan quit living like a slave would you raise your hand let's pray for you speak life over you In love that welcomes me, the kindness of mercy that bore with blood wholeheartedly my soul undeserving. So